0: This week, we're going to see the first DNC Democratic primary debates for president. There will be 20 candidates over two nights, and that doesn't even include the candidates that didn't make the field, people who are trying to get your votes in the Democratic primaries all around the country. And the DNC has arranged these in Miami, Florida. They will be Wednesday and Thursday nights of this week on Wednesday night. Going in kind of rough approximation of popularity, uh, we'll see Senator Warren, Congressman O'Rourke, Senator Booker, Senator Klobuchar, Governor Inslee, uh, former uh, Secretary Castro. We'll see uh, Congresswoman Gabbard, uh, Mayor de Blasio, Congressman Ryan, and former Congressman Delaney. And then if you'll permit me to continue listing names on on Thursday night, we'll see former Vice President Biden, Senator Sanders, Senator Harris, Mayor Buttigieg, Senator Gillibrand, uh, Michael Bennett, uh, Governor Hickenlooper, Senator Bennett, uh, Governor Hickenlooper, Congressman Swalwell, uh, Andrew Yang and Miriam Williamson. And that does not even, as I said, include the people that are not making either of the two debate stages. And I wanted to bring someone in who could talk to me about this, and and this is a treat for me because she and I have talked shop over many election cycles, over many moments like these, and I'm glad to bring her back in this first few conversations we're having for At The Table. Pamela Kirkland, a CNN field producer, an old colleague of mine, and someone who is just wonderful on this and just about every topic she speaks about with expertise Pamela, thank you for joining me on at the table.
1: Thank you for let's having me. Let's talk about I'm where we are right now. Here. This is
0: still so raw and so early for people. And I know that you have been in South Carolina talking to voters recently, particularly around the comments that the former vice president was making about the his ability to work with um let's let's put it uh, conservative democrats who supported segregation. Let's let's that that's the most polite way to say that. And mm-hmm. Before we even get to the field and what you think about them, because I I definitely want to know your thoughts on this, because you and I have not had a chance to talk shop in far too long, but I want to know what have you been hearing from voters in South Carolina? I am guessing that this has been a pretty poignant moment for a lot of people who do or do not like what the vice president, former vice president has been saying.
1: Yeah. And, you know, South Carolina is really interesting and we always focus on it early. It's the first in the South primary. 60% of the Democratic electorate is African-American. So you go really hard on the black vote if you're a Democrat um, in this early state. And so we asked people what they thought about the former vice president's comments. And, you know, I have to say for the most part, many people were very forgiving. A lot of what we heard was, you know, he said something that he didn't say it very eloquently, but we understand the point he was trying to make. That he's able to work with virtually anyone, even a segregationist, even a racist.
0: <laughs> um, your your words are their words, by the way, on the on the on the R word on racist, because I, I, I
1: their their words on on okay. the racist, and I think. You know, also for context, since we were in South Carolina, I think if you're talking to an older generation of voters, specifically an older generation of black voters, they're also thinking about the context of the 1970s, where just after the civil rights movement, you acknowledge that there are still racial tensions and that you do maybe need to make things work with people who don't have the same worldview and ideology that you have. So I found that people gave Biden a lot of space and chalked this up to just a bad moment. He made a mistake. Don't do it again, but we're going to let it slide this time.
0: And of course, he has been doing it again. I'm I, I Actually, I feel bad that I'm focusing so much on the former vice president because I feel like there is that frontrunner's momentum. And and for my money, I look at it and seeing, you know, he's in the mid 20s in a lot of places. To me, that's a lot of voters who are still willing to shop around. But I'm hearing what you're saying and the people that you have spoken to about it. And I think, who am I, you know, straight white dude from the north to tell these older black voters who they should be forgiving of or not? I'm no one to say that. And and certainly, I think for a lot of the electorate in the Democratic Party who might be looking to have these gotcha moments to try to define such a big and unwieldy field, if this rolls off their back, I, I, I can't imagine why it shouldn't roll off someone else's. Now, as you were saying, if it keeps happening, maybe that's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a, a feature and not a bug of the Biden candidacy.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a question as we continue through the election. Like you said, Biden's leading in many of these polls. But, you know, a couple of missteps is one thing. If it's a continual cycle of just stepping on himself and saying the wrong thing and not being able to deliver a clear message, I think that's when things start to get a little tricky for him. But, you know, the latest there was a CBS News poll that came out um, just before the state democratic convention in south carolina and biden was leading 45 percent. 45 percent of south carolinians said joe biden was their first choice for the nomination um they love him i was also there in january and there were it was a significant amount of people that i spoke to who at that point joe biden was not even in the race We were asking them about Cory Booker, about
0: formally. Exactly. He
1: had not formally announced yet. We asked people about Cory Booker, about Kamala Harris, about Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. And everyone was saying they were just waiting on Biden. We're waiting on him. We know him. He was vice president to the first African-American president this country's ever seen. And they like him.
0: I wonder about this, and tell me if you, when you have been speaking to voters, if this has been a, a refrain, is it about not just electability, because I feel like that's a very charged word, especially given the field and where we've come over the past 15 years in the Democratic Party, but is it about who they think can beat the incumbent president, or is it about name recognition? Is there is there a thread that you've been able to pull when you've been having these conversations?
1: You know, I think it's a combination of the two. They think he is the one democrat who could potentially beat President Donald Trump in 2020 and they like that about him. Um they also like that he similarly to the president speaks his mind. Similarly to the current president. <laughs> exactly. Um mm-hmm. and gets him gets him in, in trouble sometimes depending on what he's talking about. <laughs> but they it feels to me as if the voters I've spoken with would rather put their eggs in that basket because they know him, he's tested, they know what they're going to get with a potential President Joe Biden versus wanting to try out a Harris or Booker or anybody else who's running. Um, The other interesting thing that you'll see in South Carolina among many Black voters is this generational split. A lot of older Black voters are solidly um, in the Biden camp. But I would say if you maybe starting at millennials and younger, um, you'll start to hear from people that they want to see what some of the other candidates have to say. And they are waiting on events like the debate coming up to hear policy positions and ideas and things that these other candidates are going to propose because It's still early and they still don't know very much about a lot of these people who are running for the Democratic nomination.
0: And obviously, the former vice president comes in with such national name recognition, really the only one who competes with the current president for that level of name recognition. So I wonder how much that will retain once we have the watershed of all this other information out there whether it's either so many candidates that it's impossible to really differentiate or whether it's, oh, now that I've seen some other choices, I, I'm maybe interested in something else. Let's let's talk about some of the other candidates because despite what the voters in any of these states might think, uh, re- regular head-to-head matchups for however they are useful at this moment don't show Joe Biden as the only person who can beat Donald Trump in 2020. They show, in fact, almost every major Democratic candidate as the potential. So when we see these candidates this week coming up on stage and we see them talking about their positions, it could be, again, according to however effective we expect those head to head numbers to be at this point. And it's still very early, as you and I have both said. What do you make of the? And this goes back to, I think, 10,000 conversations you and I have had over the course of years where we we look at these varied candidates and what what are you what what are you looking for what do you expect on these Wednesday and Thursday night debates and 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 more importantly what are you hoping to see as someone who's interested in this as a journalistic story but also as something you know just as a citizen who gives a damn about the country she's living
1: in I mean I'm interested to see the policy discussions that come out of this I think this debate the timing is interesting with the biden comments with senator cory booker coming out so strongly against him on those will this kind of devolve into a let's pile on to this guy for saying something controversial or will this be voters first chance to really compare the candidates as they're standing next to each other talking about policies um so I'm I'm interested to see what what path we end up taking there. Is this just going to be a knockdown drag out fight with everyone trying to differentiate themselves because it is such a big field or are we actually going to get into some policy prescriptions and talk about solutions and, you know, pocket pocketbook issues and the economy and things that voters are really interested in because they affect their day to day lives.
0: When we I was looking at the, the the list for both nights, and it is it is a fair amount of reading as I did uh, for people just a few moments ago. Um, the only candidate of color that I'm looking at on the second night who could potentially uh, make the kind of impassioned uh, argument that Senator Booker has made he's on the first night but Senator Harris would be you know the the only person who could could potentially put that out there i mean maybe Andrew Yang could potentially say something along those lines although he's been i i, I don't think he's necessarily made that a centerpiece issue for himself but we've seen such a, a more um, at least in terms of skin tone diverse group on the first night, uh, where you'll have uh, mm-hmm. Senator Booker, you'll have Representative Gabbard, uh, you'll have former uh, Secretary Castro, so you'll have a little bit more there to work with in terms of. But then you'll also have uh, Senator Warren and and uh, Congressman O'Rourke as as the the people who are kind of leading that crowd in terms of the field. I just I can see what you're talking about with the potential for this to get bogged down. And I wonder what, if anything, can break through. I guess my question for you is, what issues do you imagine? Because we've seen what animates voters and you've been talking to them directly in South Carolina and elsewhere uh, as as a field producer for CNN. What have you been seeing as issues that people care about that may have not made it to the national conversation yet?
1: Uh, You know, it. For all of the elections that we've covered, and as much as we talk about different presidential cycles, it's always the same thing that you hear it's healthcare. How concern. dare you, by the way, <laughs> we're old, it's okay. I
0: know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn it. When did that happen, by the way? I don't know. Uh,
1: I just woke up one day and I was like, damn, I'm old, what happened? Yeah, um, so
0: healthcare, you said, I'm sorry, I cut healthcare. you off. Healthcare, obviously,
1: always healthcare. Always the economy, always, you know, the stock market's been doing wonderfully lately, but it's not trickling down to people necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what is going to increase that paycheck? They want to talk about tax cuts, they want things that impact everyday life. So, you know, you've got Governor Jay Inslee talking about climate change, which is great and definitely needs to be addressed. But I think it's issues like that that are kind of on a lower tier, at least for some of the voters I've spoken to at this point.
0: And yet when I talk about especially in Washington you saw you see a lot of people having these conversations and saying oh you know are these issues going to break through we certainly expect that they will finally but then i remember and as you remember in the 2016 cycle in the presidential debates climate change never came up
1: mm-hmm. and that
0: was one of those moments where i think we were genuinely surprised that it never came up but it's the, the idea that you could have several moderators across multiple networks all make the same editorial decision that this isn't worthwhile to ask the two people who might be the leader of the free world. Uh, That was a striking moment. And so Governor Inslee and others, I know, um, I I know, uh, O'Rourke and Booker and a few others have actually made a play to make this not just Governor Inslee's issue uh, going into the debates, but whoever tries to make these things pop, I I guess, let me put this another way. Are the voters going to be served by the kind of conversation that we've been seeing already, which is about electability, about who's saying what? And then I think about these conversations, and I'm glad that we're having this one right now, about issues like racism, issues like how do we respond to the legacy of this country, things that the president, President Trump has been adamantly unapologetic about. And that is, again, part of his appeal to his base. But whether the Democratic Party is willing to tolerate a a thorough examination of where it's been, is that something that you think we can even have and see that as not an exhausting issue for the average Democratic voter?
1: You know, I'm I'm still on the fence about that. I hope so. I as a citizen, I genuinely hope so. Um I think we've had a lot of interesting possibly productive at some point conversations around things like reparations, for example. This is probably the first presidential cycle where you've seen a number of candidates address that issue yeah. um with some real actual ideas and Thought behind it. Um, student loans. Elizabeth Warren's gone really, really hard on this, and she is, I believe, the only candidate with at least a an outlined policy of what she would do to eliminate student loan debt if she were to to end up in the White right. House. Um, and I think, I think it is. It's really positive to see that at least these. These things, while they may not be bubbling to the very, very surface, are starting to bubble at such an early, early part of this process.
0: One thing that I was fascinated about, and I always try to uh, imagine this kind of beyond my own experience because I know that it's it's limited, is that I've been both heartened and fascinated by framing of issues as both race and class issues. You mentioned Elizabeth Warren. Senator Warren has talked about, for example, reproductive health, the, the, the right to get an abortion and the ability to have funding uh, or the ability to have healthcare potentially pay for the costs of that, not just as a women's issue, not just as an economic issue, but as one of race and class, saying that the kinds of people who are going to be most hurt by this. And she's not the only one having those conversations, but it's the most poignant that I've heard. She's been talking about it as something that will affect people disproportionately because of race and class. So I have two questions Mm -hmm. for you. One, is that a winning issue in the Democratic primary? And two, is that a winning issue a very long time from now in a general election?
1: I think so. I think people are really paying attention to this issue. If you look across the South, you've got Georgia, you've got Mississippi, you've got Missouri, you've got Kentucky. There are a number of states who have passed restrictive um, legislation when it comes to a woman's access to uh, clinics where they're able to get an abortion. And so I think you've got all of this happening at a time when you know, it 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 is an issue that it's complex, and I'm I'm really happy about the way that Senator Warren talks about it because it does transcend. It's not just a woman's issue. Right. It, it's honestly, I mean, you're talking about reproductive health. This is an issue that everybody should be concerned about because it in, impacts everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think I think this could be a something that really does resonate with. The Democrat, Democratic voters. Um, Senator Gillibrand has also been talking, um, talking a lot about it, as well as Senator Harris. And I think you're starting to see that uh, the the candidates vying for the Democratic nomination are really looking at this as an issue that voters are paying attention to, and that they want to come out and send a strong message on what their stance is when it comes to reproductive rights.
0: I wonder about because you've been spending so much time recently in South Carolina and there's a there's a stereotype, whether it's accurate or not. I, I haven't spent enough time there talking to voters as, as you have, or certainly not nearly enough to make an accurate assessment. So I'll ask you for for your expertise here, which is um, that potentially there's more conservative, especially among the older African American voter, especially among someone who's maybe less willing to countenance this kind of conversation that you and I are having right now about abortion, about reproductive health. Is that something that you've seen reflected in these conversations you've been having on the ground? And is it something that potentially limits that issue in terms of its ability to animate voters uh, in? The South, or in other conservative places, where um, ten years ago when we were first having our conversations together, things like Yellow Dog and Blue Dog Democrats still existed.
1: Right, right. <laughs> Which again is I just, just had dating. That conversation us. with someone the other day. I was like, "What happened to Blue Dog Democrats? That was a thing. It's not a thing anymore." Like
0: northeastern <laughs> Republicans. It's just they've they've all gone away.
1: Right. We they've been eliminated and gone extinct. Um, You know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think differences in the generations and how they see things, the older Black Southern voters that you talk to are much more conservative, especially when you're talking to them about some of these um, social issues um, and issues like reproductive health. Um obviously I don't want to characterize everybody and stereotype, but
0: Yeah, how dare you, by the way. (laughs) Finally, someone's going to say
1: (laughs) When you're talking to those voters, they're very religious. And when you take that into account, um, you know, and you believe you have your belief system when it when it comes to things like abortion, um, that's not something that's necessarily gonna animate an older an older african american voter uh versus maybe someone who's a bit younger and is looking at issues like reproductive health um as something that is a motivating factor and is driving them to the polls in this this go-round.
0: But I keep going back to this fundamental question, which is no matter who we're talking about here, let's say you've got someone, uh, an older African-American voter in South Carolina who maybe has an issue. You mentioned social issues, so I'll try to bring up a name one, which is maybe there's a, a question about the viability for them of an, a, uh, an LGBT candidate, someone like a, a gay mayor from the city of South Bend, Indiana. So, it, But then I think... If their choices are Pete Buttigieg or Donald Trump, who is everything that they know Donald Trump is, I still can't imagine. And the polls bear this out that that becomes is it is it the 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 man who's in a committed marriage or the person who's on, you know, like, again, like the the contrasts don't need to be made. And yet I'm Mm -hmm. in my head making them because how could they not be out there in voters minds? And so I guess my question is, have you seen what it reflected in voter conversations, not just in South Carolina, but elsewhere as well? The the idea that whoever is the the candidate, like you were saying at the beginning very strongly that they love Joe Biden, they want to see the former vice president because they believe he can he can win. They believe that he's good for them, despite some of these very strange uh, comments that he's been making recently. Is the is the same the the same sentiment there also that there is an electability of just about anyone in the field or are you seeing people Reticent, reluctant, uh, withholding of that support for the time being for other candidates.
1: You know, I think it's it's both. I I hear both because with some voters you talk to, it's going to be an issue of enthusiasm, and if a mayor Pete isn't somebody who's really exciting them, they just may not go out and vote. Which to me sounds crazy thinking back to yes last election it's like really you would just sit it if out you're again. not
0: going to but vote there's... in this election now knowing like having already like went what is going to animate you what is going to get you up <laughs> off the couch that is a that is right. that is literally going to be a fundamental thing that we talk about on at the table over and over again because if you are not giving a damn at this point. What the <laughs> hell are you waiting for? Like, what is what is it going to be? So I, I'm th- that is a central question that I'm glad that you've enabled me to talk about one of our central themes. Uh, but but you said that the other there's another half of this. What's the other half?
1: Yeah, I, I will say I've spoken with other voters. I was actually I was in Michigan a couple weeks ago and I spoke with one voter who is a very moderate Democrat. And she was telling me that She actually voted for uh, President Trump in 2016 and now regrets Mm -hmm. that vote and wishes she hadn't done it. So looking at this election and looking at the Democrats who are running, her hope is that it's not a very progressive left leaning candidate, just somebody who falls a little more in line with her views. However, if it does end up being her example was um, Senator Bernie Sanders, if it ends up being Bernie Sanders, she said she will get out and she will vote for him because she's so motivated to undo what she's done <laughs> um so Heavy i think the question on is those
0: yeah right. and what's her <laughs> so that people who are listening to you and i can send her a letter what's her uh, name and address <laughs> no I, I i i imagine that there are a lot of people and you mentioned michigan so obviously she knows exactly how much that counted right like there's there's an there, yeah. a, i'm sure a very active imagination as to what uh uh, yeah, that 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 particular type of voter must be uh, must have some thoughts on a regular basis. I would imagine. First of all, Pam- Pamela, I hope that we get to do this again because uh, you and I have far too much fun, and you are not in D.C. nearly enough. And as part of this, uh, these first few conversations for at the table, I couldn't think of a better person that I'd love to uh, to to bring up and and uh, help. Uh, I guess, smash the champagne on the front of the ship. So Pamela Kirkland, field producer, (laughs) CNN, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to do this.
1: Thank you. Same here. Yes, please. Looking forward to doing it again.
0: Uh, Again, all this week, we're going to be talking about the debates for At The Table. I'm Jared Rizzi, your host, and this is going to be one hell of a week. And I hope that you are involved every step of the way. And more importantly, I hope that whatever you hear... Whatever these candidates say this week, that you retain that excitement and that enthusiasm that you have because participation is the bare minimum requirement for our citizenship.